You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. This week we are uh, continuing in our series on authenticity. Uh, We've scheduled it out through the end of November, and then we'll get into a short uh, Christmas series, and then we'll start into our new theme uh, for 2016. Can you believe 2016 is almost here? Man, when I was a kid, I watched Space 1999 on TV. It's like that was the future. So, um, But when we started this series of Authentic, I told you that John was going to punch you in the nose. And he has. And I thought that it would get a little bit easier. But this week, I, honestly, it was very difficult for me to prepare this week because... John punches you in the nose like three times. And I, I don't want to leave people walking out with bloody noses. I want people to go out strengthened and encouraged and built up and equipped so that you can go out and live this life that he's called you uh, to live and impact your family and friends and your sphere of influence. And so I really prayed about this. And uh, my prayer, you can pray with me, uh, is that you will leave today encouraged, that you will... Uh, leave today with something in your arsenal to go out and live for Jesus in a difficult world, in a difficult day and age where Christianity is mocked, where, where Christians are put down, where everything else is exalted except Christianity. And so it's becoming more and more difficult. Young people in high school and junior high, it is getting more and more difficult to stand up for Jesus in your sphere of influence. And it takes a certain kind of grit and fortitude and strength by the Holy Spirit to stand tall and represent uh, your Savior. And so uh, it's a big deal. So I'm going to read out of John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone, John is saying, everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins and there's no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. You just got punched in the nose. Now listen, John just said, if you keep on sinning, you don't know him. And you go, well, who are you to say? You don't know my heart. You don't see my heart. John has a purpose, what he's talking about. And this is, like I said, this was where I was in a little bit of intrepidation this week because I have to say the truth. No, let me rephrase it. I get to say the truth to you, and I understand that truth sets people free. At the same time, I don't want you to go home condemned or feeling down, or bad. Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to hold these things in in tension uh, and see where it takes us at the end of the day. Then he says, dear children, he's pleading with them as an elder statesman at the end of the first century. All the other apostles are dead and gone. He's the last one remaining. He's probably in his 70s or 80s here talking to the precious church. Don't let anyone deceive you about this. 
When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous even as Christ is righteous. And the reason he said that is because by the end of the first century, there was some um, heresy going on. People started saying, listen, Jesus forgave you. He died for your sin. That means if you're a Christian, you can do anything you want. It's not sin because he already forgave you. You can do whatever you want. Like this. Well, that's a very nice message for people who want to do whatever they want. And so they started drawing people astray. And John says, get back on track here. God doesn't like sin. And we're going to talk about that. So, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. This destroy is not the word to obliterate or to blow up. This word to destroy really means to unloosen and unravel and set people free, like the chains coming off. Uh, People are wrapped up in, in their sin. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. Remember the water example? When you get shaken, when a water bottle without the top on gets shaken, what comes out of the water bottle? Water. Why does water come out of the bottle? Because water was in the bottle. When you get shaken, and you will, what's going to come out of you? The life of God. He says, John says, you don't keep on sinning because the life of God is in you. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously does not love other believers, and does not love other believers, does not belong to God. So, wow. That is a hard-hitting passage. So we're going to unpack it, we're going to stretch it out, and talk about what John uh, was saying here. Father, open our eyes that we can hear your heart speaking through John, the apostle. I pray that you'd open this up to us. I don't care what stage we are in our life, how long we've loved you and served you and lived for you, There is something that you want each one of us to take away here this morning. Holy Spirit, reveal that to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, God hates sin. God hates sin. God hates sin. God hates sin. All right? I don't know how to say it other than that. God does not like sin. Sin separates us from Him. He created us for Himself to glorify Him, and sin causes that separation. He hates the destructive nature of sin. Good news. If you hate sin, you agree with God. All right, so that's a good thing. How much does God hate sin? Well, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned, and they each had to endure, and we, consequently, the world has fallen because of the sin in the Garden of Eden, and we're all born into and with the sin nature. But God hates sin. sin. Women were cursed. They had to endure hardship in bearing children, and they had, they had to, uh, he said, that you will uh, have a desire for your husband to Eve, yet he will rule over you. There was this kind of thing, this, this you know, the, the pain in childbearing is, isn't all through nature. You know that your dog, when she has her puppies, she's not screaming and cursing the dog down the street that did this to her. All right? It's just like happens. 
But this curse, that's part of the, that's a result of sin. And the ongoing life of cycles and all those kind of things, that's, that wasn't the intention. And, and, and men, working is not a curse. Work is a blessing. God created us to work. But the pain that accompanies work, the thorns and the thistles and the sweat of your brow and, and, and the, um, the tension and the stress and the troubles and the, all that kind of stuff that comes with work, that is part of the curse. We live in a fallen world. As beautiful and as magnificent as the Sierra Mountains are, they were more beautiful without the curse. There's like a, a film covering all of creation. It's, it's what we're going to see in the new heaven and new earth is unbelievable what God's intention was. But God hates sin, so there was consequences. At the flood, the whole world had become sinful. And God judged the world with a flood. And there was one righteous man left, Noah. But God hates sin. It's Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were such wicked cities that God said, I'm going to destroy them. They were against God. They were uh, killing uh, babies, sacrificing babies, throwing them in the fire. And there was vile disease and wickedness all through the, the cities. And God cast judgment on them. And at the cross, the cross... Jesus, who knew no sin, was on the cross for you and for me and for, for our sin. And God demonstrated his hatred of sin by pouring out his wrath on Jesus. God hates sin. He doesn't flirt with sin. He doesn't say compromise with sin. He doesn't say get close to it, as close as you can to the edge. And, you know, you'll be okay. No, he says, stay away from it. Sin is horrible, and ultimately this world will be judged uh, because of sin. Sin has to be paid for, must be paid for. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that's some truth. That's some truth right there. God does not uh, do anything about sin except hate it, and, and it has to be judged and paid for. So Jesus is on the cross... And God's wrath is poured out on Jesus until that point. And God's not human, but I'm going to interject a human emotion on him that I don't think he actually had, but we can understand it. Is God at some point said, that's enough. So sin was paid for and God was satisfied. God hates sin. And he's demonstrated that over and over. The good news, number two, is that you know, John says, that Jesus came to take away our sins. That is good news. You know, the word gospel means good news. The word gospel means good news. And this word actually came from uh, the Greeks way before uh, Jesus. This was a normal word, the good news or the gospel. Like uh, when, they, when the Greeks won the battle at Marathon, they sent heralds all throughout the land and they shared good news. So the gospel means good news that brings joy. That's what gospel means. And so to help illustrate this, we got a little bit of John Piper's writings in a short video uh, that we're going to show right now.
have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more. Isn't that good news? Jesus came out of heaven into this earth to live a sinless life to take your place and my place on the cross. If that's not good news, I don't know what is, so that we can have right relationship with Almighty God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now, John says that our, the test of whether or not we have received Jesus as our Savior and asked Him, invited Him into our life, the test of whether or not we've done that is have we turned from sin to His Son? He's making it very clear. Either our focus or attention is on sin or our own way, our own selfish desires, or our focus is on Jesus. But we can't be doing both of those at the same time. That's number three. You can't be close uh, to the devil and to God at the same time. John says, anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Now, sin is a big deal. Sin could be an act of commission. Sin, that means you commit a sin. Sin could be an act of omission. James says, therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, that's sin. So sometimes you're supposed to do something and you don't do it, that's sin. Sometimes you do something and that's sin. Sometimes it's a thought or an action or or a temptation that is more than just a fleeting moment, but you give yourself to it. So the, the definition here will help us. This word to continue in sin or keep on sinning is the same word for abiding, for remaining, for staying, for dwelling, for tarrying, all those kind of things. So that means it's not just those who have sinned because if you love God and you want to follow after Jesus, you're going to sin. Right? Any sin that's not here? Anybody without sin here? Let them throw the first stone, that thing. We all sin. So where, how, how could this be? He says, if you sin, you're of the devil. Whoa. Sometimes people with an overactive conscience, they feel condemned and all this kind of thing. John's trying to bring some balance here. He's, this word is continue in. So the, here's the best illustration that I can come up with, and it's gross. I'm sorry. In the Old Testament, the prophet said that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Have you ever heard that one before? That's in the Bible there. That filthy rag is like taking a garment, like an overcoat or something, dipping it in sewage, sewage, pulling it out, rolling up in a ball, setting it over under a rock, let the rain come on it, let, let you know six, seven, eight months go by, and then go pull the rock up, pull it out, worm infested, smelly infested, putting it on. That's our, that's our rags. That's our righteousness. Is that, that's how holy that is to God. It doesn't even compare to His holiness. All right, so. Have you ever stepped in dog poop? All right. I'm not talking about with your shoes. You know, most of you have in the grass, in the backyard or somebody's yard, you know, cold coagulated, squishy between the toes. All right, here's the question. Here's the illustration. You know, oftentimes you remember illustration, you don't remember anything else. Here's the illustration. Do you stay there? 
No. You get a hose, you jump in the ocean, you, 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 you bleach it, you, you know, acid it, you know, whatever. You get that off of you, right? All right. So, a Christian who sins, they hate that. It disgusts them. And they get right with God as soon as they can. They get it off of them. And they, they thank God for dying on the cross for such a time as this. And they get back and restored into fellowship with God. Yes, it's a big deal. Yes, you can't look at it lightly. But it's a big deal. All right? So that's what John is saying. If we continue in our sin, that's like this. And then sitting down. And then rolling in it. That is as gross as it is. He said, if you remain there. Now, if you hate your sin, you're in good company because God hates sin. So we find ourselves going our own way. I'm selfish. By the way, married couples, all, all your problems come down to two things. This is, this is, this is wise advice. Wise advice from my wife. All right, that's what, this is what this is. We're either uh, lazy or selfish. Usually comes down to that. We're not willing to invest the time to do the right thing or we're selfish. It's all about me. We're going our own way. We have a bad attitude. We're being selfish. We're, we're sinning. We, we forget the covenant we made with God to follow Him and, and live righteously. Understanding that that doesn't save us. Jesus already paid the price, but we do that out of a life of gratitude. We're going uh, our own way and all of a sudden we realize now, I repent, God, I am so sorry. I've been doing this for a whole hour now. And it's, it's my fault. I just, I just give, give up and say, forgive me, please, I'm going back here. Or sometimes we find ourselves, I've been, I've been acting this way for a whole month. Or heaven forbid, I've been acting this way for years. And I'm a Christ follower. That ought not to be. Jesus, thank you that I can say goodbye to that and say hello to Jesus. I can follow after you. That's what he's talking about. If we remain, if we continue, if we abide. Now Paul expounds on it here in Romans chapter 8. He said, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So you can tell who's dominating you. Your flesh or the Spirit. If you're constantly thinking about sin, planning sin, cultivating sin, you're being dominated by the enemy, by your flesh and by the enemy. But if you're thinking about the things of God, who's controlling this war going on up here? So uh, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God, it never did obey God's laws and never will. So somebody who you may know is intent on sinning, enjoys the sinning. They have no guilt, no remorse, no anything. And they say, there's no way I'm turning to God. I'm, I enjoy this. I'm doing this. You can be sure that they're a child of the devil, not of the Lord, not of the kingdom. They're not born again yet. But somebody who says, I'm following Jesus, and I sin, oh, ah, 
All right, I'm following Jesus, and this is the struggle that Paul says. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's going to be a struggle because we live in these fallen bodies. Don't let that drag you down, believers. If you've said yes to Jesus, don't let it drag you down. The moment you become aware of it, say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Get up, quit feeling sorry for yourself, and move on. All right? Because we spend too much time feeling down. I sinned again. I'm such a worm. You know what that is? That is nothing but pride. You think that because you're feeling guilty, you're going to somehow get God to forgive you faster or more. And he says, "Um, I already paid that price. You don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to add anything to this price. I paid it fully. God was fully satisfied. The payment was fully paid. And all you have to do is receive forgiveness. Get up off your duff and start walking toward me again. Because it is your heart that he's after. He wants your heart. Like the little kids say, I asked Jesus into my heart. All right, it's, it's you. He is after you, the real you. And that's where the battle goes. So we have sin. There's different kinds of sin. There's uh, sin, sin. Sin, sin. This isn't in the Bible. This is a little commentary. Not sin, sin. Sin, sins. Sin, sin is it always, is it always wrong to murder? Is it always wrong to commit adultery? Yep. Um, Is it always wrong to go to R-rated movies? I don't see that one. I see murder, adultery. I don't see that one about R-rated movies. So is it wrong for some to go to R-rated movies and others to... Is it okay for them to go to R-rated movies? What's our answer? It's between them and the Lord. Right? We don't have a right to judge them. Some people might have freedom. I'm not talking about nasty things that nobody should see. I'm talking about maybe a more mature one that somebody might see. Just give them grace, because I know there's some non-R-rated movie seers in here. Don't judge. Some people might have the freedom to, all right? But that is self-sin. If God told you not to go to an R-rated movie, and your friend who has the freedom to go to R-rated movies invites you to go along, and you go, who's sinning? You are, because God told you not to go. All right? And those are things that God has spoken to all of us. Some of us might have freedom to do something. It might apply to alcohol. The Bible's not clear about alcohol. The Bible says don't be drunk. That's sin. The Bible says do not be drunk. But it doesn't say you can't drink. So some people will never drink. Maybe there's a history uh, in their family, or maybe God delivered them from something, but they won't ever drink again. God told them not to drink. If they drank, it would be a sin. Other people might have have the freedom to. So we have to walk carefully. We don't want to go around flaunting our freedom. Do you know what the example was that Paul used in the Bible? He talked about meat that was sacrificed to idols. So here in the first century, every city had a god or a deity that was a pagan, demonic god, and they would sacrifice say, sacrifice a big old cow in front, in front of this demon, and then they'd take that meat out to the meat market. Well, the meat market, you might get a big roast beef for 10 bucks a pound, and this meat that was sacrificed to idols might only be 4 bucks a pound. Well, Paul was a very practical guy. He goes, I'm taking the cheap meat. I don't believe in that demon. I don't believe that it was anything happening. It's meat is meat, and it's cheap. I'm going to take it. Other people in that time, they said, oh, 
that was sacrificed to idols. You know, and it caused their conscience to be pierced. You know what Paul said? He said, if you have the freedom to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols and somebody doesn't, he said, just stay away from it so you don't offend them. Just stay away so you don't cause them to judge you. Just don't make an issue of it. Maybe you have freedom to, to drink or to go to an R-rated movie. That's our examples today. Whatever it could be, you have some freedom to do something. Don't cause somebody else to stumble or violate their conscience if God is speaking to them about something or if that's where they are in their maturity level. So be very careful about sin. So there's sin, sin, which is wrong for all of us, and then there's self-sin. We have to be very careful about that because it's different for everybody. That's why Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, humbly we go before God. Humbly we say, God is this right or is this wrong for me? Because the truth be known, most of us would like a nice big list so we could follow, is this right or wrong or this not wrong? You know what? God doesn't want us to follow a list. He wants us to go before his throne and to have an open heart and, and, and honestly get before him and say, God, how should I conduct my life in this world? How should I conduct my business? How should I relate to my neighbors? How should I do all these things? Because God, I want to honor you in everything that I do. Does that make sense? So if God's been clear and has told you to stay away from stuff, stay away from it. So the, point, the whole point there is, where is your heart positioned? Is it towards sin or toward the sun? Don't answer lightly. Don't just say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I accepted Jesus 50 years ago, and I'm so glad I'm saved. But we're not consciously every day saying, God, I want to honor you. And so we might be going along right here, and we're off 1%. You know, 1% after a foot is, is only a couple inches, but 1% after a mile is a big, is a big distance. You've got to get back on track. So some of you sitting here today, some of you might be believers for decades, and you've honestly tried to invite God to come in in your life and, and get rid of the gunk, the stuff that you used to do. He, he cleaned up, and then he showed you some more stuff to do, and then you clean, worked on that, and then he showed you some more stuff, and you worked on that. And it's been this wonderful process of sanctification, being set apart for his use, setting yourself, uh, consciously working on not something that will save you, he already did, but because he saved you, you're working on these things, and, and you're still serving him faithfully. I want to encourage you today, don't give up. Keep at it. Keep at it because it's not going to stop. Aren't you glad that he didn't show you 50 years ago everything that you had to clean up all at once? But he's gracious and just shows us those things that we can handle one at a time. All of you, no matter what, what stage you're at, there's things in your life that God have, hasn't even put his thumb on yet. You're working on two or three things right now. Oh, I want to get rid of this and this and this. You know, For somebody who's newer in the faith, it might be I want to get rid of my cussing and smoking and chewing and going with girls that do. And for us, some of us, it might be God is working on pride. And the longer you've been around Jesus, you know that those things are despicable. The stuff that's in here is way worse to me. That's why Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners. And he wasn't just being religious. He was being honest. He goes, I am full of sin. And that's what Jesus came and died for. Thank you, God. Thank you for your gift. And he, he lived a life of humility and honoring him. So, as believers, if we understand that we are new creation, 
a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Uh, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We understand that God is working on us. He, he, the more we yield ourselves to him, the more we say yes to him, the more we're conquering the temptation and the things. So here's, here's our takeaway today. Number one, doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Some people really, from time to time, they doubt whether or not they're a Christian. You might be hearing a message like this this morning. And doubting, oh, am I really saved? I, you know, I don't even know. Steve said that if they're walking in sin, how could you be? You're a child of the devil and all this kind of stuff. And, and I know my life has been a mess lately. It's full of trash and garbage. And so I don't even know if I'm a Christian. That's between you and God. But I want to say this. If you said yes to Jesus in the past, you really meant it. And you wanted to follow him. You wanted to honor him. Um... You're probably a Christian. I say probably because I don't know. Here's a quote. You won't necessarily know that the Holy Spirit has come if you're waiting for a certain feeling. You will know He has come because Jesus promised He would. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come when you repent. Jesus promised that He would be with you always. It's not dependent upon your feelings because our feelings come and go. Our feelings are very uh, much uh, liars, you know, we live by, ask a pilot who's training. You can be upside down on an airplane not even know. You don't go by your feelings. You go by that instrument, you know. And so we go by the word of God. But a person is a Christian who has asked Christ by faith to forgive his sins, to come into his life and to be Lord of his life. And God forgives them and has the spirit of God living in them. So if you've sincerely trusted Christ for your salvation and you've acknowledged him as Lord, then the Holy Spirit has come into your life and you're a Christian. Here's the thing. Only you know and God knows because you can be a faker. You could fake it. I've been in meetings where pastors got up and gave testimonies and they said, I led a church and I realized I wasn't saved. I led a church and I knew all the right words to say, but I didn't give my life to Jesus. I want to encourage you today, whether you did a long time ago or whether you've recently come to Christ, if you haven't truly, and only you know, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, please say yes to him right where you're seated. Jesus, I give you my life today. I mean it. Please forgive my sin. I want to follow you. And any believer, when they hear that, they go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Thank you, God, so much. Thank you, Lord. I pray that people will come to you, authentically turn their life over to you today. And God there, but for the grace of God go I. I don't want to be a faker. I want to be a person who truly follows Jesus because it's your heart he's after. So how can you know the Holy Spirit is at work in your life? Well, when he's at work in your life, you believe that Jesus is who he said he was. You, that's, that's only God working in your life. And, and you act, you start acting as Christ directs understanding that we're not earning our salvation, that we're just doing that out of gratitude. Romans 5, 8, 5 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So you will um, find help in your daily problems when you turn to Him. The Holy Spirit is there to help you by His power. Acts 1, 8, uh, uh, Luke says this, he says, but after this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power, power to be his witnesses. 
You can't do this thing on your own strength. You need the Holy Spirit inside you. And when you give your life to Christ, His promise is that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. As much as of the Holy Spirit that's in you is up to you. If you we want, our goal is to be full, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But when you say yes to Jesus, Almighty God begins working in you. And He'll go as far and as fast as you let Him. He'll, he'll go into every nook and cranny of your house. I always think of the heart like a big Victorian mansion with lots of closets and cupboards and drawers and secret passageways. And we don't want to just invite Him in our living room. We want to say, Holy Spirit, take your searchlight and search me. Like David said, search me, O God, and see if there be some wicked way in me. And then you become part of God's church. His plan is for the church to display His glory to the nations. So local churches, covenant communities, all over the world, people are meeting together like we are right now. On most on Sundays. And it could be under a tree in Africa. It could be in a cathedral in Europe. It could be in a hut in Indonesia. It could be any number of places. It could be in a funky old low-story building in Placerville with blue chairs. But people all around who say yes to Jesus come together in covenant communities, communities of friendship with a purpose and with a mission to impact their region. A couple more indicators that you belong to God. And John wrote these in the passage we read. He said, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and anyone who does not love others, that's other believers particularly, does not belong to God. Give yourself the test and say, God, do I really belong to you? Or am I just getting off track and getting a little selfish lately? God, I want to get back on track today. And this is the kind of thing that you can help other people with. You can, people that are going through tough times, you can sit them down and say, listen, where's your heart? Is your heart after Jesus? Just ask him that. Or is it selfish right now? Going your own way, your own direction. My prayer is that everybody today will honestly reflect before God, not in a condemning way, but say, God, I want to follow after you with my whole heart. I don't want to give you half a heart. I want you to have all of me. Thank you, Father, for this word today. Lord, I pray that we would go home encouraged and strengthened and not condemned. Because your word says that truth sets free. Father, I pray that truth would set us free today. In your precious name we pray. Amen.